passing the plates uh, when you get to the front. For the rest of you, if you'd turn to Exodus chapter number 7 with me, Exodus chapter number 7. If you're here with us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus, and last week we were introduced to the ten plagues, or what we saw as the ten strikes of God's hand. And uh, last week, here was our, our takeaway, the purposeful patterns of the plagues reveal Yahweh, and the word name Yahweh is whenever you see the Lord and Lord in all capitals, that is his revealed name to Moses in this Exodus narrative, the plagues reveal Yahweh to be the ruler and redeemer of his perfect and complete creation. Now that's way too much to unpack. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I'd love to encourage you, if you weren't here, I'd love to encourage you to go back and listen to the message. But uh, we looked at some patterns of the plagues Today, we're just going to jump right into things, and we're going to look at seven of the first ten plagues. It's important for us as we go forward, though, to understand the objectives of the plagues. Yahweh was revealing himself to the world, both to his people and to his enemies in Egypt. Because it's going to be very easy for us to think of Yahweh as um, someone who is mean and, and unloving and, and harsh and disconnected and who punishes people just because they don't do what he says the first time. But we're going to see something different, I hope. Just as we saw with Yahweh's patience with Moses when Moses kept saying, no, no, send someone else. We're going to see Yahweh's patience with Pharaoh as he gives him chance after chance after chance to get things right with him so the plan today is to get through first seven plagues we're not going to read every verse as we have been because there's just there's too much to cover so we'll pull out specific scriptures but i would love to encourage you when you get home some point this week to read the rest of chapter seven and then chapters eight and nine and i hope that it helps piece things together a little bit more for you Last Sunday, we closed off with Moses and Aaron striking the Nile with a staff, and the Nile becomes blood. That's where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 7, verse 21. Exodus chapter 7, verse 21. It says, And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as Yahweh had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this. Bless you. Feel better? <laughs> he did not even take this to heart. Now, there's some really interesting things about this first plague. We have to know this, and many of you probably do, but the Nile was the lifeline of Egypt. It would flood every year, and actually along the Nile was the most fertile farmland in the entire world. There was always food in Egypt. If you remember, in Genesis, Abraham went down to Egypt during a famine. If you remember, in, in, in late in Genesis, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt because there was food in Egypt. And that was because of the Nile River. Because of this, the Nile was one of the greatest gods in the land of Egypt, if not the greatest god in the land of Egypt. 
So here's what we notice. Yahweh strikes his hand first at their greatest God. And you say, why? Well, just think about what would have happened if some, kind of, some sort of plague had happened somewhere else. To whom do you think the people of Egypt would have given the credit? Well, to their greatest God. And so Yahweh is going to come and he's going to, he's going to show us right away that these plagues are a part of spiritual warfare for Yahweh to show I am the one true God. I am dominant over any of the gods that you worship. In fact, if you notice the very beginning of this verse says the fish died. Why is that important to even know? Because there were fish gods in Egypt. And had the fish survived, the Egyptians, this is just the way their thinking would have been, the Egyptians would have thought that the fish god was, was sending havoc to the Nile god and was greater. And so Yahweh is showing, it doesn't matter who the god is in the land, I am going to show my dominance with my first strike. But then there's an even greater significance to this first plague of the Nile River turning to blood the Nile was the place Pharaoh had commanded the babies of the Israelites to be thrown the Nile although you couldn't see it the Nile was filled with innocent blood and what Yahweh was doing was he was, he was reminding both Pharaoh and he was reminding his people that the spilling of their innocent blood was not ignored, neither was it forgotten. In fact, this, this blood, it echoes all the way back to the very beginning of the scriptures with Genesis. Do you remember when Abel was killed? The Bible reads, or God said, that, that the blood of Abel cries out from the ground after he was murdered by his brother Cain but this Nile in the blood also it, it echoes forward into the life of Jesus what was the very first miracle sign or wonder that Jesus did he turned water into wine what would be the end result of Jesus beginning to reveal himself to the world as the son of God and as the Messiah what would be the end result his blood would be spilt. In fact, at the Last Supper, Jesus holds up a glass of wine. Remember, first miracle, water into wine, but this is echoing back to the Nile into blood. He holds up a glass of wine and says, This is my blood, which was shed. For you, which echoes us back to the prophet Isaiah, who said through the work of the Messiah, hey, those of you whose sins are as scarlet, we see the reversal. They shall be as white as snow. See, this plague, this first plague has such incredible theological significance. It's not just we're going to make it hard for them to drink. No, Yahweh was showing, revealing himself. And here's how he was revealing himself, that he was a God of justice. In Egypt, the blood of the innocent children, it was finally through these plagues avenged upon the guilty. But we see in Jesus, the blood of the innocent son was shed to redeem the guilty. 
See, this plague is doing far more than punishing Pharaoh. It is revealing who our God is. This is who he is. What I find extremely interesting in the verses that we read, though, did you notice the Egyptians were able, or I'm sorry, the, the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same thing through their dark arts, through their dark magic. They were, they, what, what they could do is they could continue the plague. What they could not do was reverse it. They could only replicate it, not stop it. And yet when Pharaoh sees the work of his own magicians, his heart remains hardened and he walks back to his house. Now, if you have your Bibles open, we're going to look now in chapter 8. Because chapter 8 opens, we have a plague of frogs, the second plague. Which again is significant because there was a god of the frogs in Egypt. We're going to pick it up in verse number 7. Chapter number 8, verse number 7. It says, but the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts and made frogs come upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with Yahweh to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. That was very wordy, but basically Moses came to Pharaoh and said, When do you want these frogs to go back to the Nile? Okay, and notice what his answer is. And he, meaning Pharaoh, said, tomorrow. Moses said, well, be it as you say that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh, our God. So you see, in these verses, the magicians of Egypt, through their dark magic, were also able to replicate the frogs, but all they can do is add to the chaos. They cannot stop the chaos. They cannot take the frogs away and so pharaoh beckons moses and says you go take and plead with yahweh to take the frogs away now what are we seeing ha pharaoh is recognizing yahweh as the one who can stop the plagues so the revealing is working but isn't it crazy that when moses says when do you want the frogs to go away he says tomorrow why not right now Because Pharaoh was testing Yahweh. Pharaoh wanted to know if Moses comes and through his dark magic too, is he going to make the frogs go away right now? I'm going to trick you and I'm not going to say right now because you're ready to get rid of them right now. I'm going to tell you tomorrow. But it's exactly what takes place. And why? Well, if you read the last sentence behind me, so that you may know, Pharaoh, there is no one like Yahweh, our God. And so what do we learn in this second plague? That Yahweh is present, meaning he's listening. He's attentive. He's hearing what Pharaoh is about to ask, and he's active in the lives of his people. His presence is there. He, he knew what Pharaoh said, and he said, I'll do it whenever you want me to, because I will show you I am here, I am listening, and I am active and yet, once the frogs are gone, what is Pharaoh's response? Look at verse 15. It says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, meaning they were, left, they were gone, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The third plague 
is when the dust turns into gnats or lice or mosquitoes. There's kind of like this un uncertainty of exactly what the, what the little flying insect would have been. But here's what the third plague is going to reveal about Yahweh. His power. See, Yahweh now in this third plague, he's revealed as the God of everything. Both the big things like the Nile River and the small things like the little gnat. And he is the God of everywhere. He's done these first two plagues in the water. Now he moves to the land. This God is different than any other God the Egyptians had worshipped. He's the God of the big and small, and he's the God of everywhere. But you notice with this, there are echoes once again, because this dust takes us all the way back to creation. Where man was created from the dust of the ground. But not only an echo for creation, an echo for Moses' life, because if you remember in Moses' life, he at one time killed an Egyptian. And what did he do with that Egyptian once he killed him? He covered him in the dust of the ground. And now what we see is that humanity is being covered itself by insects that came from the dust from which humanity was made. And you see this significance that Yahweh is, he is bringing the greatest, most powerful kingdom of humanity. We are built strong. No one can stand against Egypt. And Yahweh says, oh, you think? Let me send the smallest insect I've made. And I'll bring you to your knees. I think it's very significant, too, that these first couple of plagues, actually, I think it goes up through plague number six. They're not deadly. There's no loss of life. Yahweh is not coming and saying, do it my way or not. He's simply trying to get the attention of the Egyptians who worship a myriad of gods. And he's trying to show them there's only one true God. But if you would look at chapter 8, verse number 18. Chapter 8, verse 18, it says, The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Now, I just don't want to explain this to you. What they were not saying was, This is the finger of God of the God that you and I know. They're saying this is the finger of a divine being. He is not doing this through magic. We've been able to replicate it through our dark magic. What he is doing, what is happening now, that is the work of a divine being. It is the finger of a God. And when they reference finger, where do we find the finger? Ooh, what have we been talking about? What are the echoes we've been hearing? God's hand. Oh, yes. But it closes by saying, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to his magicians. He wouldn't listen to them as Yahweh had said. And he walks away once again with a hardened heart. You know what I find very meaningful here? The workers of the dark magic were the ones who were the first to recognize the finger of a divine being through his miracles. That's so important because that echoes forward into the New Testament. Because do you know who the very first people in the New Testament were to recognize Jesus as the Son of God? 
Who were the first to recognize Jesus as that deliverer, that Messiah? It was the demons. In Mark chapter number one, the unclean spirits cry out, we know who you are, most holy one of God. Oof. But those demons didn't turn to worship Jesus. And these magicians recognize that this is a great God, but they don't turn and worship Yahweh, which helps us understand that simply acknowledging the presence of God in our lives is not enough. We must wholeheartedly surrender to his supreme authority. Because what we have, we see, we see these magicians, they know this is God. Those demons, they know this is God, but there is no surrender to him. There are many people, believers and unbelievers alike, who say, I know God, I've heard of God. But they don't surrender to him. They think they know him, but it's through our obedience that displays whether we really do. The fourth plague, the flies. And with the fourth plague, we come to a major turning point. I want you to look at verse number 22, Exodus chapter 8, verse number 22. Chapter 8, verse 22 says this, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell. Goshen is where the Israelites lived in Egypt, right? And it says, So that no swarms of flies shall be there, why? That you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Therefore, I will put a division between my people and your people. And tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And so from now on, from this point on, the plagues will only affect the Egyptians. It will not affect the Israelites. And so Yahweh has chosen once again to protect his people, meaning he's revealing himself as a God. I am going to be present with you. I am going to show my power over the other gods and I'm going to do it with precision. I'm going to draw a straight line here and my people will be fully protected. Pharaoh calls in Moses and he says, please get rid of the flies. You can go worship Yahweh if you just get rid of the flies. Just don't go very far. He wanted them to worship in the land of Egypt. And Moses said, no, we've already received our marching orders. We are to go a three days journey. We will go wherever Yahweh tells us to go. And so Pharaoh relents and the flies are gone. And then look at verse number 32, if you would. You'll pick up on this theme, I hope, verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people Plague number five is the Egyptian livestock get some sort of a plague, some sort of pestilence, and they die, and yet the, the Israelites are fine. Look at verse number, look at chapter nine now, chapter nine and verse number seven. Chapter nine, verse number seven. It says, and Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people Plague number six brings boils, these huge sores all over the Egyptians. And something happens for the first time in this plague, plague number six. It's an, it's an echo from Exodus chapter four, one of the early conversations that Yahweh has with Moses and with Aaron. 
Look at chapter 9, verse number 12. Chapter 9 and verse number 12, and you will see for the first time something echoing. But Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. This is the first time we see Yahweh hardening Pharaoh's heart. What exactly does that mean? Has Yahweh taken away Pharaoh's free will to, to respond to him? Is Yahweh forcing Pharaoh to bring destruction upon himself, upon his family, upon his people, and upon his land? Now, I, I, want, to, I want to stop and tell you this. I, I believe it's very, very important for us to understand this rightly because this affects a view of salvation. A view of salvation that has continued with this very long debate. And here's the debate. There are some who would point to God as hardening Pharaoh's heart as evidence that God chooses who gets saved and who does not get saved. They would argue that the choice of salvation is not actually up to man, but rather God from the very beginning of time, decided who he would predestinate to eternal life and who he would predestinate to eternal destruction. And they would point to this passage, which is also covered in Romans, as proof God hardens hearts so that people cannot come to salvation. Man, that raises this question, though. If God takes away Pharaoh's ability to choose, how in the world do we hold Pharaoh responsible for his choices? If God said, do this, and he does that, why would God then punish him for doing exactly what God told him to do? If his free will was stripped and Pharaoh was acting only as God told him, doesn't that make God a cruel an unloving deity who punishes people for acting in the way he tells them to. And so what, is that, what exactly is happening when we read that Yahweh hardens Pharaoh's heart? What your English translations don't allow you to see is there's actually two different Hebrew words being used for hardened. And those two Hebrew words have two different meanings. And so it's important for us to know which Hebrew word is being translated as hardened so we can actually understand what's being said. I want to show you what those two Hebrew words are. It's kabod. We would say kabod, but the Hebrews would pronounce it kavod. Kavod. It's actually translated into many places in the Bible as the word Glory. We'll, we'll see in Exodus when Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai and he's with the Lord and he says this, show me your glory. What it actually says in Hebrew, show me your kavod. So how does the word for glory get translated as the word for harden? Because the meaning for kavod is actually heavy or weighty and it's primarily in reference to like a bag of gold. The heavier the gold, the heavier the bag, obviously the more gold is in it, the more gold means it's got more kavod. 
but it's also, but its meaning is also heavy or weighty. Which means there are times it is translated as unmovable. Or you and I might say, stubborn. It's a heavy heart. Not heavy with grief, but heavy as in you can't move me. And that's exactly what we're beginning to see in Pharaoh's life is no matter what God does, no matter what Pharaoh sees, no matter what Pharaoh experiences, at some point his heart is stubborn and it's, going to, it's not going to move no matter what Yahweh does. But Hazak, Hazak on the other hand, means to strengthen or encourage. It's actually, if you go back to Exodus chapter 4, it's the Hebrew word that Yahweh says, that Yahweh uses when he says, I am going to strengthen or encourage Pharaoh's heart. But we read, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, what we just read is exactly Yahweh hardened, Yahweh strengthened Pharaoh's heart. And here's the significance. Here's why this is so important to understand. Yahweh is not forcing Pharaoh to act in a specific way. Yahweh is emboldening Pharaoh or strengthening Pharaoh to act on what is already in his heart. He doesn't tell him how to feel. He just magnifies what he's already feeling. Remember, this, this whole time, Yahweh is after Pharaoh's heart. He said that from the very beginning of the plague, I want you to know that I am Yahweh. And through the plagues, he's been revealing himself one plague after another. This is who I am. I'm the God in the land. I'm the God in the sea. I'm the God of the big. I'm the God of the small. I am the God of precise time. I am the God of precise location. Pharaoh, I want you to know who I am. And Pharaoh has not been responding. And so why does Yahweh now get involved by hardening his heart? Because Yahweh has a plan and that plan has a timeline. He has come down so that he could deliver his people from their bondage in Egypt and to take them to the promised land. And he is not going to let Pharaoh just simply sit and wait, take his time to decide. So he is going to strengthen what's in Pharaoh's heart to force Pharaoh into a decision. Either you fall and surrender to me or you turn in rebellion from me. But you're going to have to make the choice. And I am going to embolden you to make the choice of what is already in your heart. Now you say, well, what does Yahweh want? Well, I mean, I think it's so clear. As I read through this, Yahweh wants Pharaoh to see him for who he is. To turn to Moses and the people and say, go serve your God because I know he is the one true God. You are his people. Go serve him. That's what Yahweh wants. But Pharaoh won't relent. And so when we read these words, here's what we have to understand. That Yahweh is strengthening, or the word hazak. The stubbornness, or the word kavod, that already exists. In Pharaoh's heart, to bring Pharaoh to a point of decision, you surrender or you rebel. But you can't just sit on the sidelines anymore. And the next plague, it takes place. Seventh plague, so interesting. Hailstones fall, and inside of the hail is fire. And things get very different. I want you to look at chapter 9, verse number 13. Chapter 9, verse number 13. 
Then Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. Actually, in the Hebrew it says you and your heart. And on your servants and your people so, so that... This is what he's trying to do this whole time. So that you may know that there was none like me in all of the earth. It's all about Yahweh being revealed to Pharaoh. But look at verse 15. Here's what Yahweh says. For by now, I could have put out my, oh, here we go. Here's the echo. I could have put out my hand and struck. There's another echo. Struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. I could have killed you already. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name there's an echo what is this been all about the name of Yahweh so that my name Yahweh would be proclaimed in all of the earth verse 17 you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go behold about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now now therefore send, get your livestock and all in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. We've got something more to read, but just, hey, just you understand what Yahweh's doing? He's warning him, go home and save the lives of your slaves and save the lives of your livestock. He's not punishing just because I want to punish because you're not listening. He's saying, here's what I'm going to do. Go home and take care of it. So we're revealing Yahweh still. He's a, he's a God of justice, but he's a God of compassion. If you'll just obey, you'll see the blessings. Verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of Yahweh among the servants of Pharaoh, some are getting the message, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahweh left his slaves and his livestock in the field man this is so amazing fire and hail fire and water both falling from the sky at the same time showing Yahweh to be the God of fire and water which are two opposing energies right but get this fire has already fallen from the sky in judgment on Sodom in Abraham's day water has already fallen from the sky in judgment in Noah's day. We've seen fire and water already represent judgment, but what is absolutely amazing is fire in the sky and water in the sky is actually going to be the way that Yahweh leads his people as they leave the land of Egypt. He is going to become a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, which tells us the work of God can either bring direction into our lives or it could bring devastation into our lives. It all depends on how we react to the revealing of God in our lives. As God reveals himself to you more and more, his revealing is either going to lead us to a place of surrender so he directs us or a place of rebellion so we're devastated. Pharaoh does not attempt to save his livestock. He does not attempt to save his slaves. 
And so here is Pharaoh's reaction, and this, this is key. This is key. You got you to watch what happened. Remember what we were just talking about. The Lord, Yahweh, hardened, strengthened Pharaoh's stubbornness. Watch what happens. He's bringing him to a point of decision. Verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Yahweh is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. It's the first time we've seen any kind of moral confession by Pharaoh. Up to this point, it's been, stop the plagues, just stop it. No, you can't. Now he is recognizing the revealing has worked. He is seeing Yahweh as the ruler of justice, the one who declares right, the one who declares wrong. Pharaoh himself thinks he's a God. He presents himself a God to his people. And now this one who claims to be a God says, no, there is one greater than I, and he is the one who determines right and wrong, and I am in the wrong. He is in the right. Please go to that God. Go to Yahweh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Oh, this, isn't this exactly where Yahweh was wanting Pharaoh to get? He sees me for who I am. Verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to Yahweh. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahweh God. Mm. But you just said I have sinned. I was wrong. He was right. Plead with him. And Moses calls out his heart and says, no, I know you do not fear him. You just want things to go back the way they were. And Moses was right. Look at verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as Yahweh had spoken through Moses. And here's the thing. Yahweh had hardened his heart after the plague six to say, it's time for you to choose. And Pharaoh has chosen. I see Yahweh for who he is. And I don't care. I will not let the people go. So now he has a full understanding of Yahweh and he turns away in rebellion. And this is the first time this happens. In fact, those two hardens behind me, one is Kabod and one is Hazak. He is, Pharaoh is strengthening his hard heart, saying, I will not relent. And since Yahweh knows, all right, I've revealed myself in a way that you know me. What we're going to find, and we're not going to get to it today, but what we're going to find in, in, in the eighth plague, Yahweh no longer is worried about revealing himself to Yahweh. Now, sorry, Yahweh is no longer revealed about, no longer worried about revealing himself to Pharaoh. Yahweh is now going to begin revealing himself to his people. Because Pharaoh has chosen to harden his heart which means judgment 
will come. And here's the thing to wrap this up. Yahweh, the I Am, sought to reveal himself to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would find a place of surrender and awe of who he is. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Jesus came as the I Am. And he came to reveal himself as the Son of God, the Messiah, the ruler of the world, so that people would allow their hearts to be led to a place of surrender to him and awe. And it didn't work. That's what they did to the I Am in the New Testament. Which means... We have a choice to make. Right? One day, the entire world is going to bow before King Jesus when he returns. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what our word says. That will happen. But we will either kneel in joyful recognition of the Lord to whom we have already surrendered, or we will bow in sorrowful realization, realizing I have fought you tooth and nail the entire time. I saw who you were, and I chose to rebel. You and I won't be given a choice to kneel. It will only be, will will we choose to kneel as victorious saints or as defeated enemies? Of King Jesus. But also, I think it's so important for me just to, just to clasp this on understanding salvation. That salvation is more than accepting Jesus as your Savior and inviting Him into your heart. It is acknowledging Jesus as your King and committing to His kingdom Jesus come into my heart and what's to keep me from walking away now that he's in my heart but if it's Jesus you are king and I will enter into your kingdom well then whenever I choose to walk away I am walking away from a commitment to my king I think, I think what we sometimes do is we, we attach salvation to this small prayer of saying, Dear Jesus, I've sinned. Come into my heart and forgive me and take me to heaven when I die. Jesus didn't come to take you to heaven when you die. He came so that you would live for him today. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is in heaven and on earth. That's why Jesus said, I pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because his kingdom is there, but Jesus brought it here. We don't have to wait until we die to enter his kingdom. It's when we choose to follow him as our king that we commit to his kingdom. And what's so amazing about our king? No matter how committed we might think we are, he's committed more. It is love, not fear, that rules his kingdom. It it is our king serves. He doesn't demand. Our king exercises and sacrifices in righteous humility, not with arrogant power grabs saying, you must do things my way. No, Jesus does call us to lay down our lives, but not because he wants us to die. 
He wants us to live like him. And he has already laid down his life. And now he calls us to do the same. My last statement, my last thought. Acknowledging the true identity of King Jesus while continuing in disobedience to his rule will lead to personal and relational brokenness. Pharaoh knew, I have sinned, but I don't care. We'll see the brokenness, and if you know the story of the plagues, you understand the brokenness that comes in Pharaoh's own life, in Pharaoh's family, in Pharaoh's people. If you are currently running from God, it's important to make things right today. Because it's not just about your personal happiness. The impact of our disobedience affects everyone around us. And it is time for every one of us to realize we can't win the battle with the Lord. We can't win the battle with the Lord. He's the king. What you'll find is if you give up control, okay, okay, I see who you are. I give you control. You'll find that his grace is sufficient. His compassion is boundless. His mercy is plentiful. And he is standing here ready to embrace. I knew how I was closing on, I was closing today talking about people who may be in rebellion to the king. And I was standing in the kitchen talking to my wife and said, hey, can you, can you think of, of somebody, can you think of a real life uh, uh, illustration of somebody who, who we knew that they were living in rebellion and they finally came to a breaking point. They gave their life to the Lord and it completely changed. And we began to talk about some of the teenagers that we used to work with in the youth group for, from years ago. And, and while we were standing there talking, the Holy Spirit said directly to me, wait, wait, why are you talking about anybody else? And my mind immediately went back to, I was in eighth grade. I was at a summer camp. And it was so clear that the Lord said, I want you to be a preacher. And I said, I don't care what you want. I will never be a preacher. I said that in my heart. I don't know if you've ever been to an invitation where where your heart was just burning and you knew you were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and it was so powerful and you just said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. That's where I was. You could have opened me up and you would have seen rebellion to sit eighth grade and say, I will not. Went to a different camp in ninth grade and but we were just having a testimony time and I finally stood up and said, I, 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 know what, I know what God wants me to do and I have not wanted to do it. I know God has called me to preach. I don't want to be a preacher. I don't care, but, but now I just want to please God. People were like, oh yeah, but see, they couldn't see my heart. I, I did and I meant it, but I meant it in my way because when it came to my senior year in high school, I had to choose what Bible college to go to in order to to be prepared for for that life of ministry. And I knew where I wanted to go. I wanted to go somewhere and wrestle. I'd be willing to go to a Bible college, but I wanted wrestling to be a part of that. And the Lord, just just as he did in eighth grade, he's standing there saying, give it to me. And I said, no. And he said, give it to me. And I said, no. 
And I finally, oh, one of the hardest decisions of my life said, okay, I will go to the Bible college you want me to go to. And here's what I will tell you. Because I did, I ended up marrying that woman right there. Because I ended up marrying that woman right there, we have three children. Because I went to the Bible college that the Lord told me to, and I married that woman and had that three children, I'm standing here today. Because I wouldn't be here today if I would have chosen to go to whatever college I wanted to go to. I wouldn't have been able to sit on that front row and watch my daughter sing, let me tell you about my Jesus, because she wouldn't even be here if I wouldn't have surrendered. It's not just about rebellion. It's about people who might be right here under the sound of, the, under the sound of this preaching, and your Bibles are open, and you're here and you're singing, but your heart is refusing to surrender to what Yahweh is asking. Give it to me. Yeah, yeah, you know what you're thinking of right now. That's what I want. And the longer you refuse, I'll come after you. But at some point, brokenness awaits. No one wants that. Not brokenness because he hates you. Not brokenness because he wants to punish you. Brokenness because the only true healing life is in Jesus. So if he's wooing you today, stop running and turn it over to the good and gracious Father, <clears throat> I'm sorry for what 